the Rainmaker Evolution to increase freedom, create momentum, and embrace simplicity in your financial services practice. You're listening to the Rainmaker Evolution podcast with Joel Johnson, certified financial planner, co-founder of Johnson Brunetti, author of The Money Map, and leader of the Rainmaker Evolution Mastermind Group. And now, here's Joel. Hello and welcome. This is Joel Johnson with another Rainmaker Evolution podcast. Uh, It has been a while. Um, I took actually about seven weeks off between September 27th and Thanksgiving. I took about seven weeks off, so I apologize for the vacancy in the podcast, and I promise we'll get them up and running. And what I thought was a great way to get things up and running and get some of the producers that I admire, uh, that run the offices that I admire, that I think are doing a great job on here, and we'll kind of pick up with that series again. If you remember a while back, we had a number of other advisors that you know on and asked them a series of questions, got them to tell their story, and maybe even talk about the pros and cons and things of, of some of the things that they've implemented going through the Rainmaker small group. And so we're going to do that today with Casey Weed. And uh, I'm excited about this. Before I do this, let me do the typical uh, compliance disclosure here. Uh, you are responsible for your own compliance. Please, please, please be careful. Uh, nothing I say or Casey says should be implemented uh, uh, without checking to see if it is okay in your area and okay with your own compliance people, attorneys, broker-dealers, and so on. Um, with that said, um, also just to say that Advisors Excel has no responsibility for this podcast. Uh, they are not in any way involved. This is completely independent of them, and um, this is primarily my content and um, we will talk about our own experience here, and hopefully this will be inspirational for you. So with that said, uh, Casey, welcome to the podcast. It's a privilege to be here, Joel. Um, really uh, happy to hopefully have the opportunity to contribute to so many other people's practices, just like they have mine. Awesome. Awesome. So I kind of sent you over some questions, um, but before we get to that, you just told me that you guys are, what, selling a house and buying another house? Has this been something you've been working on for a while? Did you guys build? Or I'd love to hear about the successes as, as people grow their personal lives also. Yeah, we uh, sold our house. Uh, we're selling it this coming Monday and closing and uh, moving out tomorrow and into some acreage out in the country. So we're getting ourselves out of the city, bought about 20 acres, and uh, just looking forward to having a pond and a creek and hills and streams, just a great place to raise kids. Now, how old are your kids? Uh, We've got one uh, currently about two years old, and we've got another one that's due here in a couple weeks. Oh, fantastic. That's exciting. So does that mean you are not going to be at World Series of Sales, or you're going to make it anyway? That means I'm definitely not going to be at World Series of Sales. Unfortunately, uh, we're going to be forced to relocate Cincinnati for a while. Our son's going to be uh, born with some uh, disabilities, so we're going to be there in the NICU probably through World Series of Sales. But Okay, uh, and that's that right. I'm going to miss it, but it's for good reason. Well, you told me about that at the last um, Rainmaker Elite Group, and so our, our best yeah. wishes are with you. And um, so I'm getting ready to take off about well. eight weeks like you did. Yeah, that's good. And I'm sure everything will be fine. <laughs> yes, it will be, thanks to the things we put in place. Thanks to you. Awesome. So, hey, so tell me, I like to start with the question, who is Casey Weed? Tell me a little bit about yourself and kind of what drives you. And um, we can go as long as we want with this. I might interrupt with a few questions. But um, tell us, besides the person that we know that did the journey and, and, um, and so on, you know, who are you? 
Well, I'm definitely um, very driven to work. I love working. I love being a part of business. I love growing things and uh, helping others grow as well. I think one of the biggest rewards that I had this year, just to illustrate that fact, uh, the biggest commission I made was when I sat down with one of my advisors, and he said he's going to make three times more money this year than he's ever made in his life, and it's going to change his life, his family's life, and uh, really offered them a renewed outlook on their lives and uh, that's really what I live for and uh, you know I don't I don't do what I do so that we can create a huge income we don't I mean you know as well as I do Joel that you know taking our businesses from 10 million dollars a year to 50 million dollars a year to 100 million dollars a year and beyond you know there becomes a point where it's not about the money anymore but it's about the lives that we have the opportunity to impact not just with our clients but being able to employ people and uh, offer them a guiding light in their lives. And uh, that's, that's what I hope to do going forward. I mean, at this point, it's definitely not about growing my personal revenue. I'd like to uh, change the industry as I see it, the way I think it should be, and also the lives of all the people I'm able to impact uh, that we employ. So that's, that's really what drives me at this point in my life. That's definitely been a change over what previously used to drive me when I first got started, it was all about the money, uh, obviously. Um, but I got to a point in my life where it just it wasn't about that anymore, and I needed a different reason to continue to grow and do the things that I do. So let me ask you a question about that because I, I think this is awesome. Because you know I feel the same way. I mean, the, the reward now to know that, especially the the young advisors that we bring in. And I say young. We brought in an older guy recently, but we bring in these young advisors, and their lives really are changed and. The problem I think that I have is I forget that. Sometimes I forget how awesome that is because I get involved yeah. in, you know, somebody showing up next week to, you know, do an audit from our broker-dealer. And, you know, I start to get right. grumpy and frustrated and things like that. And it's mm -hmm. easy for me to forget that. Now, are you like that or do you just kind of always remember the important stuff and not lose track because you get down into the minutia? Well, obviously, I think we all lose track of some of the important things uh, that happen in our lives and especially the things that happen in our business because, like you said, we get wrapped up with audits and all types of different things that can happen, and we can sometimes lose touch with our employees. And that's why I've really started making it a point to sit down with any chance that I get, you know, if I've got a free minute, I'm going to grab one of the people that work around here and I'm going to pull them in my office and just take the opportunity to see how they're doing and see if there's anything I can do to make their life better and make sure we're having a positive impact and see if there's anything I can do to mold their direction. But, uh, you know, I, I easily lose track of that. I mean, I knew that one employee that I was talking about, that advisor, that's uh, doing so well now and his life's been so changed i i hadn't had the opportunity to think about that for some time until i brought him in my office and just asked him how everything was and uh he he teared up a little bit i teared up a little bit and and it was quite a reward so i, I encourage yeah. everybody if you're not taking the opportunity to get involved in the people's lives you work with do it yeah that's great and it's interesting because i had lunch with brian who you know many of you in the small group know and uh he reminded me of one of our employees that uh you know, has had some tough times in the past, but um, just how much better they are than before they came to work with us. And I don't mean that to sound like it's all about me, because it's certainly not. It's about our team, and I've been really fortunate. And just to have people around me, especially on my leadership team, that can remind me of that uh, is awesome. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I think there becomes this point in our business where, you know, we've we hit a certain growth level. I don't know. I think it's probably different for everybody. It comes down to your personal income and how much you spend. But once you get to this point, it, it uh, I mean, if you can grow your own personal assets, your own personal income, your business income, create a nice revenue stream, there becomes a point where you can shift the way you think about your business, the way you think about your life, and you can do so much more for the people that work for you, your family, and, and all the people that come in to work with you. That's great. So, Casey, go back five years. Tell me what your business looked like five years, and you know, let's go through yeah. things like, well, you know, however you want to measure it, production, but certainly number of employees, maybe if you've changed offices, maybe even your focus. So let's yeah. go back, what, to 2011 and talk about that a little bit. Completely different. Um, in 2011, uh, we were just a small business. I mean, for years, you know, prior to 2011, we had just been, you know, an office that did, you know, maybe three to $6 million a year in, in annuity production. And then we started adding some securities. And then 2011 uh, was our biggest year. So far, we did about $10 million in new assets, about $150,000 in target life premium. And we had, uh, at the time, it was uh, one advisor and two assistants. So, you know, small practice with just three of us, and we were very much focused on the seminar uh, circuit. That was our exclusive marketing outlet, was doing seminars, and it wasn't like we did them regularly. It was, well, we need some leads, let's go out and do a seminar. And then we'd occasionally do maybe a small client event here and there, and those weren't anything you know, extravagant or really, um, there wasn't a lot of effort put into them. We'd do a barbecue here and there. And, and then we had a small office that was located in an office park that and just kind of looked like everybody else that had an office that people walked into. It was pretty standard office, a small office in an office park, definitely didn't stand out from the crowd in any way. So definitely in stark contrast to where we stand today, just five years later. And what would you say is the main things that contributed to the growth that you just described? Because that's pretty amazing, the contrast between now and five years ago. Sometimes they look at what's happening today and it becomes overwhelming. I used to do that. I used to look at somebody else when we'd go to the conferences and just go, I'll never be able to obtain that. It's <laughs> it's almost like somebody saying that, uh, you know, somebody saying to a young couple, you got to save $2,000 a month to, to be okay in retirement. And you just say, well, I might as well just give up. So, you know, kind of speak to that person what were the main things that you focused on to get to where you are today? Well, I think that was about the time that I saw Josh Melberg, you know, on stage. That was, uh, you know, he was about uh, my age now when he was on stage and I saw him back then. So I think, I think he's uh, maybe six, eight years older than me. And he was just doing a mammoth amount of production. And I, I saw him afterwards and I said, you know, I'm going to be there by the time I get to your age. And it was, I want to. It wasn't necessarily. I want to say brute force, but you know something that I was always taught growing up. I, I, um, you know, was uh, a golfer. Um, you know, went to college to play golf. I was very driven in in the golf world. And Dad always said, "Hey, if you want to go to college and and play at that level and uh, be able to." Uh, get a scholarship to do that, you're going to have to be willing to make sacrifices and do things that other people just simply aren't willing to do. That means you're going to have to get up before, you know, dawn and get out on the golf course and play golf before school and hit golf balls so your hands bleed at night. And that's exactly what I did. And I think I carried that same attitude directly into the business, which is just 
you know, being able to work harder and do things um, that other people just aren't willing to do, things that make them uncomfortable. You know, getting out of your comfort zone is something that I'm pretty darn good at, whether it comes to, you know, starting a TV show or radio show or PR campaign or just standing up and doing a seminar. I've never been afraid to, to try something new and do something that made me really uncomfortable because I know knew nobody else was willing to do that. And if they weren't willing to do it, then they were never going to reap the rewards. And so I'd say that was probably my you know, primary driver. So when you make some of those big decisions, the TV, and it sounds like you've got new office space. So these are big financial commitments. Yeah. Do you, do you just have 100% confidence because you were an athlete and you knew if you put in the time, you would improve? Do, do, you, just, do you have a ton of confidence or do you, are you... Um, are you kind of full of fear when you take those steps? I think I was initially. I, mean, I was definitely very apprehensive about spending, you know, 6000 a month on a PR campaign, and, you know, that was a mistake. I mean, <laughs> and did some of those things help? Yeah, they did help, but I never saw a direct lead from a PR campaign that I ever did versus putting money into some other avenues. So there are things that I've done that haven't worked out, so I can't say that I'm 100% confident every time we, you know, build a new office. When we when we started uh, in our new office we're in today, that was a a very stressful time you know buying that office making that investment and just not knowing if we were going to fill the office space that we had just created so it's definitely stressful when those decisions are made to to spend that money i think one of the things that's always helped in those decisions is that I have always put a lot of my revenue on trail. So when it comes to annuity business, life insurance, you know, securities, you know, almost all the business that I've ever done, I've put on trail. And so I know that, hey, if this doesn't work out, it's not like I don't have more revenue coming in the door. So that's helped me uh, definitely make some of those decisions more confidently versus you know, not knowing if we spend these dollars, if we're going to have another lead come in next week. What was the biggest financial commitment you made over the last five years where it was just you didn't really know what the outcome was going to be? I would say it was probably the radio commitment that we started uh, early 2016. In 2016, we um, you know, we'd always spent a little bit of money on radio. We had a, a, a show on Sundays, but it, it really wasn't producing any leads. I think we were spending maybe 50 grand a year on it, and uh, we maybe got one call a Sunday if we were lucky. And uh, I knew it would work, though. I saw all these other advisors, top advisors doing radio, and I said, it's got to work. I just don't understand why radio hasn't worked. And prior to that, TV was our main lead source. Well, I mean, probably, I think, 70 80% of our leads were coming from TV prior to the beginning of 2016. And when 2016 started, we were going to lose one of our major spots. We knew that that was coming up, that contract was going to come up, and we had to diversify our income sources. Now, you're and talking about from TV now, right? You were going to lose the TV spot. We were going to lose the TV spot. We yeah. knew we were about four months from losing it, which was our main lead source. And so I knew I needed to diversify, and I needed to get radio working. So we um, were lucky enough that uh, the mutual fund store here uh, has had a spot for years on Saturday at 11 a.m., and that was a, a really big spot. It was a good opportunity, so I jumped on it, and it was about a quarter of a million-dollar investment that 
I didn't know if it was going to work out or not. And uh, it did, but it put a heck of a lump in my throat when we signed on the dotted line. Yeah, it was interesting. When we committed to do radio, and this seemed like such a big number at the time, but it was $2,000 a week. Um, so what's that, 104 a year, which, which I just thought was yeah. one of the biggest decisions. And I remember Nancy Brunetti, my partner at the time, saying to me, if you look back a year from now and you don't do this, will you wish you would have? And uh, that was just a great, you know, line to me. And the answer is, of course, I wish I would have. Uh, you know, even if it fails, I still will look back a year from yeah. now and go, I wonder if that would have worked. And so that was kind of the push for me. And, of course, now we're spending, oh, my gosh, 7000 a week or something like that. I'm not, I don't even know. I don't even want to know <laughs> anymore. <laughs> But um, but that's that's great. So now and then the TV thing you said, I think it sort of ended up working out for you, right? What seemed like a, a real blow to the gut, you guys structured something else, and it sort of worked out okay. Is that still the case? Yeah, it actually worked out really well, um, but it was a huge question mark for a while. We had a primetime spot on ABC at seven thirty p.m. every Tuesday evening for a half hour, and uh, the local station was producing it at no cost, and it was dirt cheap. I mean, I, for the whole year, we might have been spending 100000 on TV for this primetime spot. And, um, you know, in, in order to you know, find a new spot, we had to work really hard. And then we had to buy some, all the primetime spots were gone. So we had to start buying Sunday spots. We had Sunday mornings available, Sunday afternoons. And it was just, you know, Friday evenings on a Fox station. It was just worthless. And, and it was, you know, doubling, tripling in costs. It was getting very expensive. And, uh, but I knew we had to do it. So we went ahead and dove in. And I just sat down with our marketing director here about an hour ago. And uh, not only do we have the spots we're picking up now, which are generating uh, last, last Sunday, we scheduled 21 appointments, I believe, uh, off of two, um, uh, three, air, three show airings. That's amazing. And so, I mean, we're back to producing more leads than we were producing before on the prime time spot. And uh, we just picked up two more air times on Sunday. So basically, we own Sunday, and we know we're going to consistently produce about 20 first calls a week. And that feels pretty good. And are you now producing that show yourself? I, we hired an outside – we actually hired PBS here locally to do the production. Okay. So we pay the studio the production fee. And so it's really, you know, we want to re-air that as many times as we possibly can because um, it's discount. That's great. Awesome. So what does your firm structure look like, uh, Casey, as far as, you know, staffing and, and that type of thing? Yeah. Um, well, just in very general, we've got uh, 13 employees today, including myself, and we're preparing to make um, two more hires. Uh, we're going to hire another advisor. We're also going to hire a new business processor, and that'll bring us to 15. That's great. And so if you had to go back when you started in the business, which was what year, by the way? Um, 2008 was when okay. I started. And was that right out of school? That was right out of college. Okay. Um, so if you had to look back and the person you are today could give that person advice, what kind of advice would you give yourself? Yeah. 
Well, you know, going a little bit beyond that, I think, you know, I was a little too um, green at that point to really give myself any advice because I was just, you know, an employee. But uh, going back to where you know, I was really running my own practice around 2010, 2011, um, you know, I would say, think, like you've explained, you know, think 10 times. And that was something that was, as you stated, I mean, it's really difficult to imagine when you're you know, producing five, ten million a year to think you're going to do fifty million or a hundred million dollars a year in just a short period of time. And I think I made a lot of mistakes by not doing that. One, of, I think, one of the biggest ones would be um, hiring. You know, I just was afraid to hire. I was afraid to pay for people, so I ended up getting, you know employees that I didn't care, they just weren't the best fit. I was I would pay for someone that was five or ten thousand dollars cheaper just to save a little bit of money because I was afraid to spend it. And that definitely hurt me in the long run. I hired advisors because they looked the part, they talked a good game. I didn't hire the best advisors, didn't hire the best help. And I ended up going through a lot of different employees and having a lot of mistakes that were made by them along the way. So I'd definitely be willing to pay more for good help and implement a better benefit structure as well as uh, one of those primary things. And I know you probably know this, but just for those of you know our audience here, the bigger you get, the more it's about other people uh, hiring the right people. Because we, the, the the bigger we get as a firm, the farther away we get from being able to control everything. And you've got to have quality people. And we talk about this in the in the Rainmaker groups about you know the difference between a sixty thousand dollar employee and a forty thousand dollar employee. The sixty thousand dollar person is not fifty percent better. They're like three times better. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you, know, you know, we're looking at right now, I'm, I'm looking at where we are as a firm and we, where we ended up the year and we just signed a 10-year lease in this, you know, beautiful building we're in and we're spending all this money, you know, building out the space and that's a whole other story. I'm, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just a sucker for the furniture and architectural salespeople. <laughs> so I say yes to everything and I freak out about it. But it, anyways, so we just made this big commitment and I'm thinking about, okay, well, I just kind of set myself up. I'm 54 years old, looking out five or 10 years. I think we've got a great advisory team in place. We've got a great um, uh, structure in place with these little uh, leadership people that are in charge of their, their business units and so on. And I think my next hire or two might be a really high-end type of a person, an executive level person to take some of the stuff off of me. Just like when Bill Gates stepped back and said, I'm just going to do creative stuff. You know, I'm going to become a creative officer. I don't want to run this business anymore. And as much as I don't run my business, um, you know, this, these type of things that you're talking about going back about hiring quality people, it doesn't change. I mean, the scale just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And yet, you know, it's challenging to have the faith to say, I didn't, I don't even know what I'm doing. I mean, I'm scared. If I hire $125,000, you know, executive COO type of a person, they might find out that I don't know what the frick I'm doing. So <laughs> that's even part of a scary thing, you know, but uh, but that's what it's all about is hiring good people. And uh, do you feel like you've got the great, I don't know if your team will hear this or not, but do you feel like you've got the perfect team in place right now to take you, you know, where you want to go over the next two or three years? Or are you still working on that? No, I'm always working on that. I don't think that is, I mean, as you know, you're still working on that. There's uh 
there's no such thing as a perfect team. There's always things that can be improved. And definitely now, um, I'd say that's that's the one thing I'm really focusing on is getting the right people and the best people in the in the right places. We've hired one, two. Um, I mean, I I think we've probably hired five people, four maybe four or five people this year. And we're paying a lot more for them, but boy, it's it's made my life so much easier paying for these individuals. Um, and like you said, it's not like I'm paying, you know, twice as much for somebody that's twice as good. I'm paying a fraction more for for somebody that's twice as good. And and I definitely have to work on getting more of the right people in the right places. It's interesting. We went through, and sometimes adversity turns into blessing in disguise. We went through this big long thing with the state, which I've talked about for a long time with the state securities department. And, you know, the challenges that came along with that when, when, frankly, we hadn't hurt any clients or really done, I don't want to say we didn't do anything wrong, but the kind of type of stuff we did wrong was like not checking the right boxes on forms and things like that. And it just went on forever and ever and ever. And part of our settlement with the state was uh, hiring our own 24 in here to supervise our business. So I didn't even do that. Brian found this person, um, and this guy was working for another advisory firm. They had kind of shoved him into a sales role. He's a great guy, um, but he's an MBA. He's an organized person. I don't know if he's a salesperson or not. He's even talking about going on a more graduate school. You know, I brought him in to do one thing, and I'm already watching him and thinking, man, this guy could do so much more for us. I mean, he can create a level of, of customer service, and I could probably just let him run with that that we don't even have today because we're so so focused on either sales or reactive customer service. So the point is, sorry to be so long-winded here, but the point is if you hire quality people and you hire for quality, they will grow into jobs or they'll create their own jobs in your firm that you maybe can't even see today because we look at it through our own eyes. Yeah, and I, I think uh, I, I hope the same thing comes out of some of the adversity we're going to face over the next couple of months. As, as I take some time away, it's forced me to make a couple of additional hires, one being uh, a very refined advisor that can uh, step in and start taking some of the big leads right off my plate and reviewing some of my AAA-plus clients while I'm going to be gone and uh, really hope that we get the same positive results uh, out of some of this adversity ourselves. Are you comfortable talking about how you compensate somebody like that when you bring somebody in and it's sort of a sales role, but your their main role, it sounds like, is to make sure that they maintain what you've worked so hard to, to build as far as your client base? Can you talk about the comp? I've got a couple different structures uh, that we've used uh, as far as advisors go. So, uh, and I would break that into three different types of advisors, one being a producing advisor, which would be myself, where all I'm doing is producing. I'm not actually taking care of any of the regular reviews other than maybe a handful of my A-plus clients. And then we've got traditional advisors. So we'll have two traditional advisors that uh, will take leads, process business, and um, also service their own book of clients. Then we've got service advisors because we've got a fairly large book of business. It's not, um, you know, it's we've got enough business in our existing book that there's two advisors that can really survive off of that on their own. And so they are service advisors. They'll take some of the smaller leads. Uh, along the way, they're also trading off and on on servicing all of our existing clients. So so those are kind of different structures we have. And I think what you're referring to is how we structure those servicing advisors. Is that true? Correct, yes. Okay. 
Yeah, when we hire them on, uh, they're going to get a base, and so they're picking up a base salary of you know, forty to fifty thousand a year, and then they're getting compensation based on production. So if they produce any existing business off of our existing book of clients, then they're going to get a five percent payout, and. Uh, that may not seem like much. However, these guys are doing uh, an average of 100 to 150 thousand a week off our existing book with a five percent payout and a fifty thousand dollar base. They're going to make over a hundred thousand dollars a year, and that makes them very, very happy. And then uh, any new business that they take on uh, that is outside of our existing book of business, they get a ten percent payout on. So is that how you're bringing on this person that's going to service some of your high-end clients, or are you changing it a little bit? Well, I think he may start that way just uh, to provide him with a base because we've got somebody that's coming on with that's earning a pretty substantial income at this point in their lives, and they don't want to take too big of a step backwards. So initially, we're definitely going to have to give him a base. But I think most of these advisors, if they've got any ambition, if they know they're really good at what they're doing, they want to be a traditional advisor because then they're on a straight 30% payout and okay. their income potential you know, gets tripled or quadrupled. So in the future, you know, I see that being the transition. And that's what I've seen from some of these service advisors. Eventually they start seeing the production and the amount of income they're able to make by going on straight payout, and then they want to make that transition. But it makes it a smoother process for them and their families. Yeah, and I'm kind of rethinking my whole – I don't know if I'm rethinking it, but you know, we've been so busy building here and growing, and I'm noticing that – the guys that bring in the business, my my producing or my traditional advisors, let's call them, I think, in your role, that bring in the business that we pay that thirty percent to, they're not always excited about servicing the business. Um, in fact, they're they're less than excited about servicing the business. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm seeing a huge advantage of having a layer of people that are servicing advisors that. Right are hugely incentivized for keeping those clients happy. I mean, we, we lost a few clients this year and we have so many that, you know, the percentage is still tiny compared to industry average. But when I look at those clients, you know, there's probably two thirds of them that quite frankly, we had totally outgrown them and we didn't do anything wrong. They just probably know that. And so they moved their 40 or $50,000 management account, managed account elsewhere. But there was some pretty significant people that we lost that I don't think we would have lost with a slightly different structure where there are people that come into the office every day that are really knowledgeable, that can talk about a managed money portfolio and talk about the positions in it, but not get lost in the weeds and and be excited about that because that's their only job. So I think, you know, as we get upstairs into our new space and so on, Brian and I have already been talking about how do we create that? Because it bothers me. It does bother me a little bit that we're so good at bringing on clients and then some of them I know feel like you know, a year or two into the relationship that we put a lot more time into bringing them on than we do actually talking to them all the time. Yeah. Well, and that was my idea about uh, earlier this year, we were going to take some of our traditional advisors and we were going to start servicing the business for them. Just like you said, I said, and these are great closers. These are great salespeople. So why do we have them sitting down and doing reviews? You know, we should have somebody else do the reviews and then they can continue to produce and sell but what we found is those advisors didn't want to give up control over their book because the only way that that works is if you know, they have a managed money portfolio that they're getting a reduced payout on every year. 
if it's they're get 30% the first year, 20% the second year, 10% the third year because somebody else is servicing the business and as their book of business grows, I've got to pay that other person to service the business. And my traditional advisors just didn't want to give up uh, that income potential, that trailing income potential that that would have forced them to do, even though they would have had you know two or three times the income earning potential because they would continue to be able to take on new cases and make new sales. So did you give them the choice? I did give them the choice. I gave them the choice that they could either be a traditional advisor, service their own book of business, or we could service their book of business, but they're going to have a reduced payout over the years. And that ends up really working a lot better for them, and I proved it to them with the numbers. Uh, they just, I think it, part of it was the DOL, the fiduciary rule. They're really concerned about payouts going down and that structure not working out for them. So you go 30% first year, 20% second year, 10% third year on the managed money. And then yeah. 10% forever? Does it go 10% forever? 10% forever and on any new business. So if that servicing advisor that's now servicing their clients picks up a 401k rollover in 10 years, they're still getting 10% of that rollover. And I thought it was a phenomenal structure, but uh, we're still working on convincing our advisors of that. <laughs> That's a great uh, – thank you for that, though. That's, that's great because we're – you know, we, we have this goal of doing a lot better for – you know, just from, from, from an integrity standpoint. You know, we, we could easily keep doing what we're doing and, and, you know, continue to grow the firm and make more money. But I, I don't like it when I hear somebody that's been with us for five or six or seven years go, we really feel like you guys have left us behind. You know, that, that bothers me a lot yeah. even if they're small clients. So I like the structure there. Thank you for that. Absolutely. So talk a little bit about your uh, before unit. You, t- you said you're doing TV, you're doing radio. Can you give us kind of an idea of um, maybe what a typical month looks like from a marketing standpoint? How many seminars, if you're still doing seminars, how many radio stations you're on and how many TV uh, stations you're on? Yeah, well, uh, with seminars, we're trying to uh, – we don't want to – we don't want to hit the same group more than 90 days. We don't have a huge mailing list here in uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana, where we're located. And uh, so we're able to um, do one set of seminars every month, roughly. So that's uh, two seminars a month, one mailing a month. And uh, then uh, we're also doing our TV shows. So now all of those shows are airing on Sundays. We've got uh, one... We've got NBC at 10 a.m., we've got CBS at 11.30, we've got ABC at uh, 11.30 and NBC at 10, and uh, ABC, or Fox at 5, so I had to add all those up. So we're doing five TV shows every Sunday. It's the same show that's being re-aired on different networks, and we're actually positioning a lot of those times. We're trying to get as many of the same time slots as we possibly can. So, for instance, we've got... You know, two 10 a.m. slots on two different networks and two 11.30 slots on two different networks. And that's worked out exceptionally well. While you might think it's good to spread those out, if we basically own every station, it's kind of like when they're doing a, um, you know, a presidential address, you're going to be forced to watch Casey Weed if you turn on the TV. We pretty much own Sunday. And so that's been a pretty successful strategy for us, uh, being on all the local networks at various times throughout Sunday. And you uh, said you got 21 calls last week. Correct. And, yeah, well, is that a typical appointments. week? 
Those are actually 21 appointments. I oh, 21 appointments. Calls. So what is that, like 30 calls then or 40 calls? I believe we had 25 calls. We actually have people that are staffed to take the calls live. So we, um, we don't miss very many of them. I think of it a lot like I do a seminar. Uh, if we're going to run a seminar, I want to schedule appointments at the seminar, not chase them around later. So we're going to do the same thing with TV and radio. We staff for our offers. And are you staff? Is that your own people or is that an outside service? That's our own people. Okay. Yeah. And we just pay them a little extra to work on the weekend, and, boy, they're more than happy to do it. And uh, I do require my advisors to do it as well. So all the advisors, if they're getting leads, they've got to take uh, phone calls. Um, you know, just part of the game. Great. And then the radio? Yeah, radio. We've got uh, Saturday show at 11 a.m. on uh, the local, the, the biggest local conservative talk radio uh, here in Indiana. Uh, also used to be a nationwide station called WoWo, uh, pretty well known across the country. And uh, we also have a Sunday spot at 1 p.m. And we're running a lot of advertisements throughout the week. Uh, I think we've you know, maybe got about 30 or 40 30-second 30 runs. We've got uh, 20 or 30 60-second runs. Um, we pretty much own that local station. Nobody's putting more into um, reoccurring uh, 60s and 30s than we are. And where are you spending more money here, on the TV or the radio? Well, TV's becoming um, a little bit more expensive than radio, but, but they're pretty darn close to being the same. Uh, we okay. spend about as much on radio as we do on TV. Definitely a little bit more on TV, but but not dramatically so. And how long did it take you, Casey, to when you started doing TV to get the just to do a good show? Because I mean, I yeah. can imagine the first few shows had to be pretty rough. And well, did you did you use you you said you had production from the station? So the station actually produced the show. I assume you had some production help, or did you just have the technicians and you had to kind of figure out if it was a good show or not? Uh, we did a live show um, for the first couple of years. So we had a oh, wow. straight live show at 7.30 p.m. Um, on ABC. So being live makes you uh, figure it out pretty quickly how to be good at what you're doing. <laughs> um, yeah, did you know real-time how many people were calling? Uh, no, I did not. Uh, because okay. those calls would uh, come directly to our office, and I would actually be at the station. Uh, but I'd say our first year that we did TV, that TV show for the first 12 months, you know, we might have had a half a dozen um, new clients from the show. So it was a very expensive investment in that first year before I figured it out and uh, before we had built an audience where we started hitting them for offers. And I really think one of the things that led to great success in the TV was building this audience of fans and doing so through building trust rather than selling them on giving us a call. And then after a year was up, we started uh, requesting that they call us for, uh, we started doing offers. And the phone just started ringing off the hook. And we've been doing that ever since. Every once in a while, we'll take, we found that people take about three times watching the show before they actually pick up the phone. So we may be, do two or three shows without an offer, then we'll do an offer. And we seem to get some pretty good traction that way. Interesting. So what is the, what's the give? Is it an appointment or are you offering yeah. various things? We're always doing an appointment, um, so it's always an appointment. We've tried doing book offers and booklets and things like that, and it just hasn't been um, 
very um, productive on the back end. We get a ton of phone calls, but not a ton of appointments. So we just simply stick to one offer. It's for the first 10 people that call us right now. We're going to offer them a complimentary consultation of their entire retirement portfolio. So very straightforward, very simple, and it works. That's great. That's awesome. So if we were talking to you three years from today and we're looking back over the last three years, so what would we be? We'd be 2019, the end of the year 2019. Uh, Casey, what would have had to have happened for you to be happy with your progress? You know, I, I want our revenues to grow, but I don't think it's uh, focused so much on income or production levels as it is um, my time as a valuable resource. Uh, I, I work um, some pretty long hours still, and I've, I've gotten used to that over the years, and I, I, I don't mind working. I just want to spend time working on the things that I want to do and not on some of the things that I don't necessarily want to do. And I see my role evolving over the next three years where I'm seeing very few people in a one-on-one situation. Uh, I don't plan to have a lot of meetings. I'm really hoping that three years from now we have 100% self-sufficient practice where you know, I can take a couple months off and not worry about things. Not that I'll actually take a couple months off, but I just want the ability to know that my team can manage itself without me around, truly manage itself without my help. And another thing we're trying to do is uh, increase the number of CFP practitioners we have in the office. We currently have two, and my goal would be to have five in the next three years. That's great. Yeah, we have four, and uh, actually, we might have five. We had somebody pass. I'm so proud of them because uh, I didn't think he would. Hopefully, he won't listen to this. I thought he had absolutely no chance of passing that <laughs> test. And he came in here and... Uh, uh, he just wanted to – he's just got a great heart, and he just wanted to up his game, and he attacked this thing, and we didn't even ask him to do it, and he, he nailed it. I mean, he just did great, and um, I think that's a really big deal. We, we're setting up this new office, and in, in the door – you get off the elevators, and you walk in. There's these big, beautiful, dark wood columns, but just before that, there's some wall space, and we're going to put all the CFP certificates up there, and – you know, it's, yeah. it's neat to be able to see, hey, there's a team of – first of all, we do all the planning as a team, or I should say yeah. the team – I think we say something like the team has input into the plan that we designed for you, which is absolutely true. And that's a team of CFPs, and that's yeah. huge. That's that's really, really Not big. And the people that aren't necessarily that. CFPs, your prospects are meeting with them, and they can say, well – I'm not on my own here. I mean, we've got Doug and we've got Ben and we've got Ken and, and they're CFPs. So uh, that's a big deal. Absolutely. I love being able to say, they say, well, what if, what if something happens to you? I say, well, we've got a team here of CFP practitioners. You call into the office. You can always talk to a CFP. If it's not me, it's going to be somebody else. And that gives people a great peace of mind. And there's not too many offices in Fort Wayne that have uh, more than one CFP, if, even if they have one CFP. So that definitely sets us apart from our competition, and we market it pretty hard as well. So you said um, three years from now, looking back, not so much focus on revenues, but focus on time. You want to be able to have that practice be 100% self-managing, um, and not that you will take time off, but you want the flexibility to do that. Increasing the number of CFPs, uh, CFP practitioners in the business. What other things would you want to look back on in 2019 and be real excited about? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. And um I mean, if we were talking about some of the, the smaller things, I mean, there's an overarching goal, but some of the smaller things, I'd definitely like to uh, continue to remodel our office and add 
another office. So the goal would be to add another office and another location. I'd prefer to go to Indianapolis, maybe South Bend or Lafayette. So we'd like to open at least one other office in the next three years, expand our existing office in Fort Wayne here, and start some other TV shows and other networks on uh, in, in other cities around the Indiana area. So those would be some other goals that uh, I would plan to accomplish along the way. Great. Let me ask you a question about that. So pretend you were going to Indianapolis or Fort Wayne or Fort Bend, Bend. Uh, Indianapolis or Lafayette today, and you could only use one marketing channel. Would it be seminars, TV, or radio? TV, no question. Uh, They... I mean, I know that TV works. I know the TV show works. All I have to do is find a decent air spot, and I'm pretty good at recognizing which spots are going to work and which aren't at this point. And I know we could go in, we could start a TV show, we're going to produce leads, and we could start producing right away. Do you think anybody, Casey, with enough training could yield a good return on TV? Uh, I don't know that anybody would do that. I, I don't want to sound conceited in any way, but I think there's some things that we can all admit that we just can't do. Some people are just going to be camera shy, for instance. So is does every person have the right you know, personality for television, definitely not. But not everybody has the right personality for seminars or radio. So I don't know that you'd say everyone's perfect for that, but I'd say if you're really good at doing a seminar, there's no reason you can't do TV. And I'm going to ask you a very politically incorrect question here. (laughs) How much do you think looks and age are a factor in TV success. Let's say somebody is great at making offers, they're likable, but their looks and their age quite, you know, maybe too young, maybe too old. How much of that do you think is important? I think it's hugely important when we look at um, any national stage. I mean, look at celebrities, you don't, I mean, people are attracted to attractive people. That's just the way it is. And so if you can find, um, you know, even somebody to do the show for you or you do it yourself, I think, you know, being, being young, being good looking is going to help you in every level of business. And you said that was going to be uh, a politically incorrect question. Well, there's a politically, politically incorrect answer for you. Uh, looks definitely have impact in whatever it is that you do. And um, especially when it comes to TV, people are, uh, they want to keep their eyes glued to an attractive face. And that's interesting what you said about getting somebody else to do the TV show for you, because that is, for some of us, where our egos get involved, you know, we can't imagine doing that. I mean, you think, you know, you're going to hire an acting student that's in their 30s that's probably way better than you could do at the show. But, we're, you know, we, we go to, well, if he's good at the show, he's going to start his own business and leave us, you know, which is not at all the case. But um, but sometimes we have to be willing to admit these things and, and bring somebody else in that's better. Yeah, especially as your practice grows, you're not going to see every single person that comes to the door. People don't expect to see me if I walk into the meeting. They're going, what the heck is he doing here? So yeah, I could be anybody, and it it could be uh, somebody that a higher out could replace me, you know, potentially. They just wouldn't be someone seeing people face-to-face. Yeah, that's great. Casey, is there anything else you want to say as we begin to wrap up here? Well, Joel, I think a lot of the things that you've taught 
uh, throughout the Rainmaker Group have contributed to not just some of the things that have happened this year, but really my attitude going forward. When I went into the Rainmaker Group, I was kind of soul-searching. I was looking for, well, what's the next step? You know, what, Why would I take the next step? Would I continue to grow? Should I add another office? Should I add more advisors? You know, I was just looking for um, some purpose in my own business and my own business life. And you were able to offer a lot of that, not just you, but also the other members of the group, just having that time away to focus in on the business and communicate with other people that are going through the same struggles that I was. Well, thanks. And you've been a great part of that group. I mean, your enthusiasm and your, you're willing to go forward and take some of the risks that I'm, I think you're less scared of, of risk than I am, way less actually. And so that's really inspiring. I mean, you get in a group and, and, you know, a guy like you is saying, hey, why not do this? And, you know, uh, this isn't meant to be a put down, but, you know, there's guys twice your age in that group that don't have the, uh, um, the faith and the confidence, and, and that's just contagious, you know, when you can come in and we see you doing some of the things that you've done. Uh, I think that's inspiring for everybody. You've been a great contributor, so I really appreciate you being part of the group, and, and I'm privileged to uh, to continue to run the group. So thanks, Casey, and uh, we really, um, your family situation with the child coming along, uh, that's in our thoughts and prayers, and uh, I hope to hear uh, a progress report on that as quick as possible. Sure, Will. Thank you for the opportunity to be uh, part of the podcast, Joel, and part of the group. You're welcome, Casey. Thank you for being part of it. And folks, thanks again. This has been another episode of the Rainmaker Evolution. We appreciate you listening, and we will be back to you very shortly with some other guests and some topics to finish out this year of 2016 and kick off 2017. If you haven't listened to all the episodes, go back, uh, listen to all the episodes. You can subscribe on iTunes. I think you can also subscribe on Google Play. I'm not sure about that. Um, But there's a website, and we plan to freshen that up for a new year. Have a great Christmas or Hanukkah, uh, whichever is your preference, and um, we will talk to you soon. Thanks again. Thanks again.